Today on CityCast Chicago. Chicago is the birthplace of so many things, so much music, including gospel. No. In the early 1900s, music in many black churches on the South Side was traditional, which is to say, a little boring. But out of the Great Migration and Chicago's booming blues scene in the 20s and 30s came a revolutionary new sound that took hold in influential churches across Bronzeville. A new episode of WTTW Chicago Stories traces the birth of gospel right here. It's out tomorrow, and we talk to the writer and producer Stacy Robinson. It's Thursday, May 5th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. When I tell people I grew up in the Catholic Church, they assume I grew up in a very kind of dry, very traditional, very... Ave Maria. Then I tell him, no, no, no. I grew up in a black Catholic church on the South Side. Our musical choir director was named Mr. Carter, God rest his soul. And that man loved gospel music with everything in him. So coming up, it was one of the earliest forms of music that I can remember, not only in my household, but as I went to school, as I started to sing in the choir alongside my siblings. And so learning more about the roots and the history of gospel music, particularly its its roots here in Chicago, I'm, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. So Stacy, welcome to CityCast Chicago. Thank you. Thank you. I love that story. And I heard that, um, I heard that a lot over the course of making this. I would say that that is not how I came up to... Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. My experience with the black church is in entirely different. I was raised as Unitarian and Unitarians are known to be the have the worst church music and the worst singing. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't grow up with that rich beauty and culture. It was not part of my experience. But um, when I hear the music, I still feel it very much in my soul. And I think that that's right. because it, it's embedded. It gets into in our us. DNA. It is our DNA. Even as I've grown older and maybe, you know, moved away from the church a little bit, the music still grabs me. I mean, let's just be real. It's fire. And, and so paint the scene for me. The story of gospel music in Chicago is like so many other things related to black folks, the story of great migration. Stacy, how does gospel music start to make its way to Chicago? It is a great migration story. It arrives here from the South when so many other African-Americans, blacks were arriving from the South to escape Jim Crow and, mm -hmm. and this kind of poverty and history of slavery. But as they arrive, even in Chicago, where there is an established community waiting for them, there is a cultural clash. And yeah. that clash, it is really expressed in the African-American church. It becomes, they describe it as a worship war. There was also a war of musics in the black church mm -hmm. as, in the same way. When migrants start coming up here, there's about five or six established churches. And this story really starts with Pilgrim Baptist Church. Uh, why is that such an integral landmark in, in gospel music? Pilgrim was one of five, what they called, they used to call silk stocking churches. And that's because the women wore stockings and the kind of music and the, I would say the prayer it was very, it was, it was very reserved. African-Americans in Chicago 
had established their own community. And one of the ways that they had done this was really by assimilating white culture, right? Mm. That was really true in the church. And the, um, the migrants arrived with a different kind of, of music. Their music was uh, it was very expressive and it had come from, it still had this African culture and rhythmic beauty to it. And it also had the emotionalism, I would say, of, of going through Jim Crow and slavery and, and that kind of um, experience was still very present in the music and in their religion. Pilgrim Baptist Church is where Thomas Dorsey arrived and became, he became the choir director there. And so it has this, it has this cultural significance, as some would say, the birthplace of gospel music. When Dorsey first got to Chicago, was his music styles welcomed in the church? How did the, the church react to not only the way Southern migrants dress, but the way they chose to worship? They called it devil's music. <laughs> They told him to get that blues and jazz out of the church. He was kicked out. He he has a saying that he said he was he was kicked out of more churches than he was allowed in. You know, that really shows what his experience was. One moment from uh, the Chicago stories, the birth of gospel that I really loved is they were talking about preachers saying, you know, this music sounds like Saturday night music. And folks would be like, how you know what Saturday night music sound like? But before Dorsey is able to get churches to buy in, what did he do to get by in Chicago? How did he persist while he was trying to proliferate this new sound? I love the story of Thomas Dorsey because he sort of, he embodies that idea of that struggle between Saturday night and Sunday morning. But he was a blues musician. And I think he, he saw himself as being um, a star. You know, not necessarily in the church. I think he transitioned to the church. And he was playing with Ma Rainey and the Wildcats. And he was working for um, recording studios that were recording uh, many of the blues and jazz artists of the day. And he was their house arranger. So, Mm -hmm. you know, he had his day job and his night job. Being split between those worlds really started to take a toll on him. He considered going back to Georgia. He was losing weight. He felt depressed at times. When did he realize that he had to just give his all to to bring these two worlds together? He really said that um, he was sort of appointed by God. God's the one who told him to bring this music into the church. And that's probably why he felt so strongly about it. There were times when he gave up playing in the blues clubs altogether, but you know, he's got to eat. So mm-hmm. he would go back there. I'm not sure that he ever was able to like take both of his feet out of the out of the nighttime blues um, circuit until he really started at Pilgrim Church. And it's unfortunate he by that time he had already uh, suffered a lot of tragedy in his life before he had that realization. At one point during his struggles, he ends up dropping a major hit called Tight Like That. Listen now, folks, want to sing a little song. Don't get mad, but don't mean no harm. You know, it's tight like that. Beat it up on boys, tight like that. Which is one of those Saturday night songs that got everybody rocking, you know, that, that had people moving. You know, was that success? Did that, you know, kind of 
uh, push him more into his struggle because now he's finding the ability to feed his family, but it still isn't necessarily matching that calling that you speak of. I think so. I went to see my gal all across the hall, find another mule kicking in my thought, you know, it's tight back there. I think so. I think, I think that, you know, that life, um, touring on a, in a band, you know, with, with Ma Rainey, which that's a really wild life. So if that's not the life that's making you happy, but you're in it, I think he got, I think he gained that success, but it wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't the fulfillment that he wanted. Right. Yeah. And then he writes savior. I was standing by the bedside of a neighbor. After losing uh, uh, someone, uh, he sits down, he writes this song, but it's a mixture. It's a true mixture. He calls it gospel blues. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that song? People in the in the dock, you know, spoke about it as if it, it was a, you know, a, a book in the Bible. If You See My Savior was a song that he wrote about um, a friend that had passed away. And it was really his first gospel hit. And people do talk about that because we, we all know this song. We've learned we learned it in church. I was on my way. You may need some old friend who may ask you for me. Ask you for me. Tell them I am coming home. But I think even after he's written that song, he still is is still kind of has one foot in both the the secular and the non secular. But really, um, he loses his wife and his child, and it's really a tragic moment. And he writes the song, Precious Lord. And that's a song that you hear in church today, like mm -hmm. you hear it at every funeral. It still, it still resonates today because it's, in some ways, it's, it's everybody's story of loss, right? But it is, um, it has all those blues elements in it, the cadence and the lament and the emotionalism of, of a blues song. And I think that that's what really, um, really showed him, I, I would guess, that he could have both things, right? And I, and I have to think at that moment in time that he realized something, which is the same thing that Africans brought over when they came, made that transatlantic crossing, was that there was no division between the secular and the non-secular life. It's all the same. Our Saturday night and our Sunday morning, it's all the same experience. And it's all anointed. Can you talk a little bit about the midnight broadcast? Oh yeah, doesn't that sound that sounds amazing? This is sounds, fun because it sounds it, like a cool uh, a cool club, honestly. Right, right. I think the whole vibe in Chicago during this time was very, very cool. And the midnight broadcast is um, churches would broadcast at night, but the midnight broadcast was one of the largest broadcasts going on in the South Side, and everybody would come to see it. So people would people would leave the nightclubs at midnight and go to the midnight broadcast to the church to see who was playing and what that show was going to be. And then they, they would leave their drinks on the table and then go back and finish after the midnight broadcast was, was over. So, Stacey, could you imagine yourself doing that today, leaving the club <laughs> to go to 12 o'clock church to see who rocking the church out and then be like, all right, cool. 
I left my tequila on the table. I'm going to go pick that right? up. <laughs> like, could, you, could you see yourself doing that? I Actually, that would make, I mean, that would make church very, very appealing to me, actually. <laughs> Don't you, wouldn't, I think, uh, I think that, I think that, I feel like it would be nice to have a return to that kind of, oh. um, that kind of lifestyle in a way. I think it would really, I think it would rejuvenate the church and I feel like it would rejuvenate our community too. You know, we spent so much time talking about Thomas Dorsey, a.k.a. the father of gospel music in Chicago and different places in the country. But if we talking about the person who took gospel music global, then we talking about Mahalia Jackson. Uh, my grandmother lived across the street from Mahalia Jackson Elementary School, so it is a name I am quite familiar with. When does Thomas meet Mahalia Jackson and what is it about her that takes this sound global? Mahalia Jackson was 17 years old when Thomas Dorsey met her. And he he had really taken this idea of the gospel choir and he was kind of unifying it behind this one sound. So he would have these singers that would go from church to church and they'd bring his songs to other churches to be sung in other churches and sometimes to sell them because that's he's making some money, right? He's yeah. selling these songbooks dime of for his sheet songs, music. right? They are entrepreneurs. So they are spreading the gospel, like literally, right, <laughs> from church to church. And so he wanted these singers. And, and Mahalia Jackson came, and she had come from New Orleans, right? And she has got this voice and this true blues voice to um, combine with his music. And I think he saw that as, as a real connection. Precious Lord, there are people who say that he did not always care for her voice because she was too natural. Like he, she would never sing the same song the same way twice, right? Because mm -hmm. she was singing from her soul. Say so she had her own music gumbo. Right. Couldn't tame it. But you hear that, that true, true, like, it's the expression of what's happening in your life. It's the expression of your soul coming out in your music, in her voice. And I think that as she comes up, there's perhaps a transition in black life. That's exactly what we need at that time, right? And I think it's a time when, you know, migrants have moved here. They're here in this new urban landscape, like in Chicago. Um, they've learned how to live, but they're still very much living in a racist society, right? Mm -hmm. And our music has always been a music of protest. If you think about the black spiritual and everything else, it's a way of it's a way of surviving the life that we're living and knowing that there's something better. And I think Mahalia really expressed that in a very in a very clear and an emotional way. And um, I don't think it's an accident that they say that, you know, spirituals and Mahalia Jackson become kind of the soundtrack of the civil rights movement. I think it's the exact same root of black music from the very beginning, that that's what it's there for. It's to help us survive. Yes, ma'am. Uh, if Dorsey and Mahalia Jackson ended up in Detroit together, 
or Kansas City or New York? Will gospel music be what it is today? Or is Chicago play a particularly important role to that maturation of the sound? Well, I'm going to say it could only happen in Chicago. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to say it could only happen in Chicago. There were so many things that that were happening in Chicago at that same time that were feeding that. I mean, we were recording race records in Chicago. So we're there are recording studios run run by at you know run by a black man, really. At the same studios they were also recording the very first gospel music because, you know, why not? If you're going to record one, why not the other? So that's happening. All the storefront churches that took over in Chicago there were churches and there were tent revivals all going along the, the west side. Maxwell Street was full of like, you know, street preachers and people singing on the street corners. I just have to imagine that it was it was just this, um, I don't know, just this hub. In 2006, the Pilgrim Baptist Church experienced the fire. And to this day, there's still efforts to rebuild and honor it and, and, and to host the, the National Museum of Gospel Music. How important is it for that building to not only, um, you know, be be saved and be turned into a museum, but how's it important for there to be a gospel music museum in Chicago? I think it's really important and, and, and it saddens me a little bit that that Chicago that we aren't preserving our musical history in a way that I think it's, I think it's a missed opportunity. Um, it happens with blues and I think we definitely should be about gospel music too. And I, and I don't think we realize how important it is or how integral it is to the city of Chicago. But I think, uh, we should honor that, um, that history before it is lost. You know, um, African-American history is, so interesting and so important and and we need to take those stories we need to tell them ourselves <laughs> otherwise you know it's going to be twisted and it's going to be changed and it's and we're going to lose it entirely it's going to get it's going to get washed away Stacey Robinson is a writer and producer of The Birth of Gospel. It will premiere Friday, May 6th at 8 p.m. Stacy, thank you so much for joining us on CityCast. Thank you so much. This has really been a pleasure. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. The Special Olympics are back in Chicago after two years off. Opening ceremonies begin this morning at Soldier Field at 9.45. The Chicago Sky kick off their season tomorrow at Wintrust Arena against Candace Parker's old team, the L.A. Sparks. We've got a season preview coming for you next week. We're trying to get back-to-back titles. There's some good news to get you through. Saba's Back at Home Tour touches down in Chicago tonight at the Aragon Ballroom in Uptown. Doors open at 6.30, and if you see me out there, say what's up. As always, I appreciate you for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace. I almost said CityCast DeMaio. <laughs>